Vajna Tumanandasya Jana Jana Salakaya Chakshur Militanyina Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha Vajakapdu Vishcha Kripasindivivacha Patitanam Pramanibhu Vajna Vijana Monamaha Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya Nasta Prayeshu Abhyeshu Dacham Bhagavati Sivaya Bhagavad Yutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhagavati Naistiki. Begin this evening by chanting this verse regarding the remedial measure that will give relief to the suffering jiva enamored by the Lord's external potency. It's Lord Kapila speaking to his mother Devahuti, third canto, twenty fifth chapter, twenty fifth verse, responsively. Sata prasangam mamavirya samvido Satam prasangam mamavirya samvido Bhavanti hritkarna rasayana katha Bhavanti hritkarna rasayana katha Tas joshanad ashva pavarga vartmani Shradharatir bhaktir anukramishyati from association with the best devotees, topics of my glorious pastimes become directly realized, bringing the devotee to Nista. Then the topics become an elixir for the heart and ears at the stage of Ruchi. By taste for these topics, Asakti, Bhava, and then Prem for the Lord, who is the destroyer of material life, quickly develop in sequence. So we were going over eight Anuchedas from Srila Jiva Goswami's Tattvasandarbha dealing with radical non-dualism the philosophy of Sankaracharya which was introduced as, as a remedial measure to bring humanity into the fold of scriptural authority uh, they had left that fold under the direction of Lord Buddha who was providing a remedial measure for humanity's taking advantage of scriptural authority for material benefit without any glimpse into the the deeper significance uh, presented in the Veda. So when we're giving a remedial measure, we have to deal with the audience according to their qualification, according to their position, their their status. From uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, the, we have the ex- example of Chitraketu. He had one objective, which was to have a son, and even though visited by the great sage Angira Muni, he could not hear anything of the nature of the self, the nature of his uh, situation in material life. He had no perspective from which he could hear with an open heart the words from the sadhu his heart was intent on one thing and that was having a son so therefore there was some remedial measure was provided unfortunately for Chitraketu the remedial measure also included because this is the nature of those great sages who travel the earth Included in that remedial measure was a stern uh, lesson 
uh, regarding attachments within the material world and how they are not very trustworthy, very flickering, here today and gone tomorrow, pleasurable in one moment and painful in the next. So back to uh, the Buddha, he's, he's saying, let us relinqu- relinquish the Veda and the Vedic instruction because at this point in time, you have no taste for it when presented in its full glory. Just as Chitraketu had no taste to hear from the great sage the nature of matter and spirit, the inner relation with, between them and his relationship to his truest self-interest. So similarly, humanity at that time had no interest in the deeper meaning that could come from the Veda. And therefore, they were offending the Vedic injunction in their own way by not seeing the underlying principle behind all the sacrifices they were performing and that was an underlying principle of conformity with scriptural injunction can not only give you material reward but if we look deeper we can also perform those injunctions in the scripture for spiritual reward which is so much more satisfying uh, they were sat- they were satisfied simply with the with the fruits of the immediate sacrifice and they didn't want to look any deeper than that so at the end of last class we were just going through these eight anuchedas which sprung from jiva goswami's presentation of the Samadhi of Srila Vyasadeva. And in that Samadhi, he saw the Supreme and all his intrinsic potencies. He saw his marginal potency and he saw his external potency. And he saw that the marginal potency was enamored by the external potency. And because of being enamored by that potency, was not was not fully spiritually healthy, was not enjoying the the joy of the self, the joy of their being. In presenting that, immediately the misconceptions of Sankaracharya regarding Ishvara, the Supreme, and the Jivatma and Maya, it was a perfect preaching opportunity. At this point in his presentation the Tatvas and Darba, he's presented the proper conception as experienced by Srila Vyasudev and relayed by uh, Sutta Goswami in those four verses. So this is the fourth of the eight verses. If, however, there were real Upadis delimiting Brahman, Paricheta, or acting as the medium of its reflection, Pratibimba, a person could not get rid of them simply by intuitive knowledge of his essential oneness with the Supreme. And if the radical non-dualists propose that freedom from Upadis is due to the influence of the Supreme Entity referred to by the pronoun Tat, 
then they're in agreement with our view. If there are real parties, parties to limiting Brahman or acting as a medium to reflect Brahman, if they're real, what he's referring to real, he's saying empirical real, empirically real. Now there's two presentations here when it comes to these upadis. One is they're really there, and one is they're just an illusion. Now when the Advaitins present that they're really there, they mean that there is some substance to Maya. It's empiric it can be experienced by the Jiva, the portion of Brahman that has been overtaken by ignorance, avidya. So they can experience it. So there's two presentations. Tonight's class, after we go through these verses, we'll, we'll differentiate between the two so that we can see clearly what this means. But empirically means tangible. And uh, illusory means there's no, there's no reality to it in, in experience in practical experience. So there's, there's some very good uh, explanations for that. So what's being said here is if, if they're real, empirically real, if, if you could see them as a, having qualities and having substance, then we could get rid of them by simply having knowledge, proper knowledge, intuitive knowledge. We could understand we're spirit and matter, the modes of material nature that entrap the jiva because the jiva is one with Brahman, it can't be really influenced by these upadis, whether you accept the pratibhimba line or the pracheta line, right? Whether we accept that Brahman's limited by, it has become limited by the material body or is a reflection of Brahman into a material substance. So simply by intuiting, you have no relationship with this material energy and you transfer your consciousness from avidya, ignorance, to vidya, knowledge, then you can be free of the upadis. But we can see that that's not the case. Even for the advaitavadis, knowledge alone is not sufficient. So they have arguments for that, which we'll go into a little bit this evening. In and of itself, it's not sufficient. So they say, well, it becomes sufficient when you add purification of the heart. So, Sarkacharya has given some remedies, uh, some sadhana, to purify the heart so that understanding the scriptural statements is enough to grant one liberation from entrapment in the misconceptions or the apatis. Is that clear? There's so the hearing from scripture is what purifies the heart? 
No, he has other. That's one one aspect of their sadhana, their concept. So we'll go into the details a little later. And what Jiva says is, well, okay, but in doing that, you're giving some power to Scripture. And we accept that, that the scriptural injunctions are what? A purusheya, they're sabda brahman, they're spoken from the supreme. They, in and of themselves, have a potency which can have an effect on the jiva. Well, if you're going to accept that, that attribute of brahman, that it takes brahman's infusion of mercy upon the jiva to liberate it from the misidentification with material nature and a transforming of consciousness from ignorance of vidya to knowledge vidya if you accept that Brahman can have that quality then we embrace you you're a Vaishnav because mm-hmm. you don't see things any different than we do on to 39. Conversely, if the apodis are only apparently real, then Brahman's delimitation, parichedavad, and reflection, pratibimba vad, are also only apparently real since these processes do not in fact occur. Okay, so if you're saying that it's it's not real, that there's not in there's no empirical reality. It's all just imagination. Uh, then that delimitation of Brahman is also just an illusion. If the apodis are only apparently real, then Brahman's delimitation and the reflection are also only apparently real, since these processes do not, in fact, occur. They don't, they're not really happening. Since the Advaita Vadi's doctrine is based on the analogy of an unreal dream state, such analogies as that of the pot and open space, akasa, which involve real potties, cannot serve to establish it. It's getting a little technical here when it comes to gra- grammar, but what he's trying to say is the analogy just is not strong enough to hold up. And again, we'll get into the details of why it doesn't hold up and what constitutes a valid analogy. No proper analogy can be drawn between real and unreal things. That makes sense. You can't really make an analogy between real and unreal things. Therefore, the Advaita Vadi's theory of division and reflection are nothing but the play of illusion, unprovable due to their inherently faulty application of analogies. So now he's dealt with both Maya is empirically real, 
and that and and Maya is illusory as far as the Advaita Vod presentation. Now he goes on. In this way, by basing their ideas on Brahman and Avidya, ignorance alone, the Advaita Vodis contradict themselves when they say that the one undivided Brahman, pure by virtue of being unadulterated consciousness, and thus altogether free from contact with avidya, is nonetheless polluted by contacting avidya, avidya and thus becomes the jiva. I mean, jiva just makes it, it's, jiva goes swami, it just lays it right out there. This just doesn't make any sense. It does not compute. Then again, the Advaitavadis claim that the same Brahman becomes the supreme being Ishvara due to his being the shelter of Maya, the phenomenal world appearance, which is itself a fabrication of the jivas of Vidya. Well, there has to be an Aswara. Brahman comes in contact with ignorance. Where it comes from, we have no idea. This spiritual substance, which is pure consciousness, free of defects, perfect in every way, eternal, full of knowledge, and blissful, because it's there's no ignorance anywhere in sight. From that somewhere, in some tiny corner of its perfect being and pure consciousness, Avidya sprouts up from nothing because there's no differentiation in Brahman. And it influences Brahman and Brahman segregates itself either by reflection or by cleavage into jivas who fall under the influence of that ignorance and they have to have a remedial measure so there has to be a lack of ignorance and that lack of ignorance we call Ishvara, which is still coming about its sources in Maya. Ishvara's source is in Maya? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because there's nothing, there's either there's either Yeah. But still they haven't ever said where Maya and yet, that very Brahman supposedly again becomes the jiva due the influence of Ishvara's Maya. Ishvara's Maya is what? Vidya. Ishvara also has its Maya, and that's knowledge. These two states, however, are clearly incompatible. The inevitable contradictions implicit in this view are that a Vidya is able to infiltrate pure consciousness, Brahman, Avidya is able to infiltrate pure consciousness, Brahman. That Vidya knowledge is present within Ishvara, who is nonetheless an upadi upon Brahman. It's not pure, undifferentiated Brahman. It itself is an upadi. Why? Because it has what? Distinction. If Ishvara has distinction and has what? Potency to remove ignorance then it has to be Maya according to the Advaita Vod philosophy. Does this make sense? 
No. <laughs> Am I presenting it in a way you can understand it? Kind of. <laughs> Who is nonetheless in the poverty upon Brahman fabricated out of that avidya. In other words, fabricated out of, of the jiva's ignorance that needs knowledge to rectify its condition. And that although Isvara is the predominator of Vidya, he is yet illusory in nature. We should carefully analyze how these and other speculative ideas are simply incoherent. It's like I have more of an understanding of what mental speculation is now than I ever have before. So we walk away with any little bit of of understanding what our spiritual master saw as, as something that had to be dealt with very firmly. Nirvashesha, Sunyavadi. This underlying misconception regarding the spirit, the nature of what is our spiritual being uh, that permeates Western culture, although it's below the surface. Anucheta 41. Jiva says, and this is entitled Srila Vyasadeva's direct experience does not support absolute non-distinction. Furthermore, this is Jiva's verse, Jiva's Anucheta, if the absolute oneness of the Jiva with Brahman were the actual purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami would have reported that what Srila Vyasadeva witnessed in the state of Samadhi was how the one Brahman becomes divided due to ignorance and how knowledge dispels the suffering caused by this duality. And if Bhagavan's divine play and qualities were unreal, it would contradict what Sri Sukadev experienced in his heart. Now we're coming to the end of this presentation by Jiva Goswami and he's He's making the point this does not reconcile with what we see in Srimad Bhagavatam. And Srimad Bhagavatam needs to be accepted as the primary Praman, the spotless Purana, and its author certainly knows its purpose. <laughs> and its speaker certainly has, by his own experience, by his own example proven that realization in the non-dualism of Brahman is superseded by the Leela of the Supreme. He concludes the eight verses with this Anucheta. The valid interpretation of Pratibhimbavad and Parichedavad. Therefore, scriptural passages that appear to support such doctrines as Parichedavad and Pratibhimbavad must be understood in a secondary sense. That is, as describing Brahman in terms of its partial correspondence with the ordinary processes of division, Paricheta and reflection, Pratibhimba. Then he goes on to to give uh, from Vedanta Sutra evidence where this is supported. What he's saying in this last Anucheda is you have 
to see these all the statements of Shastra have to be seen in context the context of the uh, overall message presented you cannot pick and choose you have to see when when a when something is used in its primary sense and it's in its secondary sense when we say arjuna is a tagger among men do we really mean that he's a tiger no we mean what he has the characteristics of a tiger so that's the secondary sense when we say the ganges is flowing we're referring to the ganges when we say he lives in a hut on the ganges we can't take the direct meaning it has to be the bank of the ganges so everything has a primary and a secondary meaning depending on how it's used if we take the statements from the scriptures regarding pratibimba and paricheta if we take those in a literal sense and not putting them in context then we call that misinterpretation Sankaracharya's presentation of Vedic knowledge is just that. It's a misinterpretation of scripture and it's a misrepresentation of the basic understanding of what's being presented there. We cannot discount all the statements in the scriptures regarding the personality behind the supreme personality behind all the manifestations of energies within the world and within our experience we can't discount those statements and only accept those that point to the non-differentiation between ourselves and the supreme so tonight we're beginning with that Anucheta 38 uh, ref- refutation of Pratibhimbavad and Parichetabad if the Apadis are real if they're real meaning that they have some empirical reality it's not just an illusion so if they're empirical re- empirically real freedom is gained we gain freedom from the the real influence of a real Maya because we have a real body made of real elements and we have a real subtle body of mind, intelligence and false ego which is truly truly influencing our little particle of Brahman so if we accept that the body is real and the experiences of the world are real and it's not just just smoke and mirrors and it's all going to vanish magically if we accept that then freedom is going to be gained for the jiva from that entanglement in the empiric reality of what we call maya uh, 
based upon knowledge which is given in Shastra, Shruti and Smriti. What do we have there? We have Tattvamasi. These are what the Advaitavads, they, they bring out. Tattvamasi, you are that. Tad Atmanam Eva Vedaham Brahmasmi. Aham Brahmasmi. You are that Brahman. You have statements from the Bhagavad Gita to support this concept of, of acquiring the acquisition of knowledge dissipating ignorance. Krishna says, As a blazing fire turns firewood to ashes, O Arjuna, so does the fire of knowledge burn to ashes all reactions to material activities. There's some validity to this philosophy that knowledge given from Shastra can have some positive effect on the removal of these upadis, these impositions upon Brahman which limit us. And some examples are given. Let's say that uh, you have a you have the son of a very rich family, and he's lost at the marketplace one day, and he's raised by strangers. And years down the line, a, a, a servant of the family actually recognizes the child and says, "Oh, it's the child of my master," and he he in, informs the child, "You realize you're from." the Rockefeller family and the Rothschild family and you actually own all the banks in the world. All you have to do is go home. You are spirit, soul and you're free of all this ignorance. You, it has nothing to do with you. you are, you're, you're eternal, you're full of knowledge and you are very blissful. Right now you just think you're a poor man's son. Or let's say that you've Misplaced your watch. Now you know how it is when you replace, misplace something. Sometimes you become obsessed because you need it. I can't go to work because I don't have my car keys. So you look all around for for hours. Where are my car keys? Now I'm two hours late. I am going to lose money here. I may even get a reprimand. I may be punished. I could lose my job. This has happened before. And then your friend walks up and sees hanging out of your pocket, your back pocket, of course, you know, the strap that, uh, you know, is attached to your car keys. Oh, I can see the strap right there. You were looking for your car keys. They're right there. Immediately, the relief is there. The knowledge, knowledge alone relieved the misery. So that's that's the point that's tried to be made here. Knowledge alone is should be sufficient, but it isn't. Knowledge alone. So the, then we have to ask. We have to present this question. Well, if knowledge alone is sufficient, you would wait and say that knowledge will set you free. And now I have the knowledge where my where's my car key or the rich family that I was part of. I've read the Shastra, I know, but it's not working. That's not enough to relieve me of the miseries. This identification with Maya, 
whether the demarcation of, of uh, a cleavage of Brahman or a demarcation as a reflection into Brahman of the spirit soul, whichever I accept, still it's not relieving the misery. What Sankaracharya says, well, you need to also, in addition to, in addition to the knowledge, you need to purify your heart. So he has his own sadhana for purification of the heart. Sadhana Chaktustaya uh, for Chatur, Chaturstaya, fourth fold practices to purify the heart. Uh, discriminative insight, dispassion, a real urge for liberation. The fourth one is the six accomplishments. Well, what are the six accomplishments? Control of the mind, Sama. Restraint of the senses, Dhamma. Dispassion, Uparati. Forbearance, Tatiksha. Fixity of mind, Faith in the scriptures, Shraddha. These six accomplishments in combination with the other sadhanas should purify your heart and then you're free of maya. The knowledge mixed with this purification of the heart will do the trick. Sankara goes forth and he says, one of the four Mahavakyas, the major scriptural statements of the Vedas, is Tattvamasi. The question can be raised, well, if we look at Tattvamasi, how can we take that? You are that. So there's a little bit of an explanation there that when Sankaracharya puts forward this, forward this Mahavakya, Tattvamasi, you are Brahman, you must understand it in the secondary sense. Brahman is everywhere, and you are infinitesimal, you're atomic. And Brahman knows everything, but you have limited knowledge. So when we say, Tattvamasi, you are that, it has to be taken in its secondary sense. And that is that you have the mutual quality of consciousness. Purify it and you will become Brahman. Not that you'll become all Brahman. You will become the Brahman. But that Brahman has no distinction in their conception. No individual characteristics. The part of Brahman's infinitesimal and part of it seems like there's still a distinction there between... Yes, there is a distinction. But they're saying when we when the scriptures say tatwamasi, you have to see it in that context of the secondary meaning of the term tatwamasi. Basically meaning you have to accept it is you are in your essence consciousness. Okay. Alright. Now when you remove the apodis you you become one with the Brahman and your distinction as an individual jiva at that time is no longer there. So you are one now in what respect? You know that you're not omnipresent um, and you know you're not omniscient like Brahman. So the only way that Tatwamasim applies at this stage before liberation in Brahman is through you are that consciousness. Now purify yourself through knowledge and through these sadhanas 
and then you will become Brahman, pure Brahman, at which time there's no <coughs> distinction because there's no duality in that state. Jiva answers some of this logic. Let's look at how he answers it. Even knowledge will not magically remove the upadis covering the jiva. A man who's bound with chains cannot meditate himself free of those shackles. A rabbit who wants to be an elephant cannot become an elephant simply by meditating on becoming that elephant. Such possibility only if upadis were apparent. You could do that only if they were apparent, the upadis. Now we're dealing with a section in Ananucheta which is saying the upadis are real. Even knowledge is not going to magically make the upadis dissipate. You can't magically make the upadis of the material body, either gross or subtle, and the modes that are influencing you in material nature just magically disappear simply by knowing that you are the son of a rich man or the keys are in your back pocket. Knowledge alone is not sufficient for liberation is what is the point Jiva's trying to make here. Scripture therefore recommends in addition to knowledge austerities, penance, sacrifices, rituals for purification. Purity makes one qualified to understand the Mahavakyas. But then he goes on and really gets to the essence of where the Advaita Vad collapses, this philosophy. Both Vidya and Avidya are products of Maya. If one surmounts Avidya with Vidya, they are still under the influence of Vidya. Until free of Upadis, one cannot realize Brahman. Scriptural evidence from Lord Krishna speaking to Uddhava, the Uddhava Gita related in the 11th canto. Jiva Goswami could have quoted this verse. O Uddhava, understand that Vidya and Avidya are my Shaktis. They are created by Maya, by my Maya, are without beginning and create liberation and bondage for the living beings. Then from Bhagavad Gita, Daivi Hesha Gunamai Mama Maya Durachaya Mame Vaye Prapajante Maya Metam Tarantite. This divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So here we're talking about surrender as opposed to knowledge. When we talk of vidya, knowledge in the scriptural sense, we're talking about something different than empiric knowledge. Scriptural knowledge has what? It has in and of itself spiritual potency. That potency is actualized by what? By faith. And faith results in, well, is, 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 the, is what? Is devotion. So just having knowledge in and of itself will not effectuate the cure of 
the suffering of the jiva within the material realm. So empiric knowledge is a feature of maya. Empiric knowledge means tangible knowledge of what is in the world of man. Transcendental knowledge is manifested by the illuminating power of bhakti. So when we hear, like from Bhagavad Gita, Raja Vidya, Raja Guyam, Pavitram, Idam, Damam. So Raja Vidya, this knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all secrets. It is the purest knowledge. And what's its special characteristic about this knowledge that Krishna is speaking of? It gives direct perception of the self by realization. It is everlasting. It is a naughty. It is everlasting. Joyfully performed, yes. Sasuka, super joyfully performed. Eleventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, The form you are seeing with your transcendental eyes cannot be understood simply by studying the Vedas, nor by undergoing serious penances, nor by charity, nor by worship. It is not by these means that one can see me as I am. Krishna goes on, My dear Arjuna, only by undivided devotional service can I be understood as I am, standing before you, and can thus be seen directly. Only in this way can you enter into the mysteries of my understanding. So Jiva's presented scriptural evidence here that knowledge in and of itself is not sufficient. This form you're seeing before me cannot be understood by all the study of the Vedas. That's not going to grant it to you. Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna.